Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we'll be discussing the importance of trust in construction, both internally within construction organizations and externally across the entire project team. We'll also look at how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed what trust really means for many contractors around the world. Joining me to bring their industry expertise to this conversation are Jay Bowman, the Managing Director of Research at FMI Corporation, and Nathan Wood, the Founder and Chief Enabling Officer of Spectrum AAC. Thanks for joining me, guys. Can you both share your backgrounds with our listeners? Yeah, happy to. Thank you very much for having us on, Eric. As you mentioned, I'm Jay Bowman. I'm the Managing Director of Research at FMI, also one of the partners. FMI is the largest and oldest provider of management consulting and investment banking services to the construction industry. And my entire focus is really what's going on in the world of construction. So whether it's just general outlooks on the markets to thought leadership and everything in between, that's really my role. Great. Thanks, Jay. And Jay and I have been working together for what feels like a decade, but it's been a few years on a, on a few other research projects. So it's great to have you on the call today to uh, to kind of dig in on the last project we did. How about uh, you, Nathan? Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background? Yeah, I sort of took, took an interesting path to also be in, in the thought leadership track as well within the construction world. But I come from a civil engineering background and I spent about eight years with DPR construction. And a lot of that was working on integrated project delivery, lean process improvement, a lot of VIM adoption and kind of really seeing what was possible really over the last decade and how much technology really has changed and evolved to become no longer the barrier to a lot of these uh, process improvements. So really, it's just up to us as people and process and culture and contracts and all these things that we talk about in these meetups and workshops and roundtables and we're going to be talking more about today. So excited to talk about some of the softer, softer side of technology adoption. I think we've got a, a great team here to kind of dig in on, on trust as a theme. So for the first segment of today's show, we're going to be discussing the importance of trust in construction and what the impact of having a very high level of trust has on your bottom line. We'll also discuss some steps that you can take to elevate trust within your company. This conversation initially started with the research I had mentioned previously that Autodesk and FMI released together earlier this year, where we surveyed over 2,500 people globally about trust in construction. We've continued the theme in a yet-to-be-released ebook that Nathan and I are actually working on right now that outlines in detail how exactly construction pros can really up-level their trust game. Jay, could you give us an overview of the research we did together and how we evaluated trust at the different types of organizations? Yeah, of course. You know, when I think about how we started this study, really understanding what did we mean by trust? You know, it seems to be one of those words that we say almost with not really any meaning. You know, when we talk about trust, it's a word that we know matters, but we just don't really put a lot of thought into it every single day. We just sort of assume that it exists and that, you know, it is something shared with the people that we work with. And what we were really trying to understand was, well, not only well, what is the level of trust within construction and among the stakeholders that are involved in the delivery of construction services, including architects and engineers, project owners, you know, and everyone in between, 
but really how does that truly impact you know, the ability to do things successfully? What does it mean internally to the organization in terms of performance? And what does it mean to you know just the relationship between the external stakeholders? And so that was really kind of what we're trying to understand is really what really contributed to that trust and how did it play out in terms of performance? I think you're so on the mark there as far as trying to deconstruct like the term of trust. Uh, I, I agree completely that it's something that people have just kind of thrown around in the past without really digging in on, okay, like I trust you. What are the the long tail impacts of, of that trust? And the cool thing about the research we did here is I think at the end of the day, we've really qualified for all of the different stakeholders in the AEC industry with a dollar value. If you actually go in and read the report of how this impacts your bottom line. So it's not just, okay, like we trust each other, we work together better, but like there are tangible outcomes related circumstances that are all tied into this, this very fundamental aspect of how we all collaborate. Well, and I mean, you know, personally, when I think about trust, I don't think of it as necessarily like a, a good or a bad thing. I think that's often the stigma that we get of trust is, you know, you if you're a bad person, you don't have trust or good people keep trust. But really, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is reliability. And construction is a historically, you know, unreliable industry to work in. And there are going to be situations where you're going to have supply chain mishaps. And I mean, especially in this time of COVID, we're seeing so many of these supply chain mishaps at grocery stores and things that we always typically would look at as being extremely reliable, extremely trusted. And so I think that the more this kind of exposes where those breakdowns in communication are happening is, is really where breakdowns in trust happen. So then it becomes less of a blaming whose fault it is and more kind of uncovering the root causes. Yeah, I think Nathan makes an excellent point. You know, one of the challenges I've always felt with the delivery of construction is that it operates in an open environment. You know, this is not a closed environment. There's so many different aspects and parties involved that we really are trusting. It's, it's an open siloed person. environment, right? It's, right. Like, it's sort of like this weird <laughs> dilemma where, yeah, it's, it's open because we all have to exchange externally, right, data, but yet we still are very contractual and litigious and, and hold on to our data too. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, we, we, it's, it's sort of this chicken or the egg dilemma that we're, they're facing here. So we broke down the data in a few different buckets in the research between very high trusting organizations, above average organizations, and organizations that were either average to below average. And I found it really interesting that so many companies considered their average or above average trust levels to be sufficient without truly understanding how much incentive there is to focus on building and aspiring to be in those very high trust level buckets. I'd like to dig in on the incentives that we uncovered that should really convince our listeners to start thinking about the topic of trust. Jay, can you walk us through what the data unveiled as the biggest reasons contractors should focus on trust within their organizations? Uh, sure. And you're exactly right. There is a case to be made for trust. And uh, I like the way Nathan described it. It's not necessarily that trust is a good thing, bad thing. You know, it, we have it, it's lacking. Because I think we everyone agrees that we have some degree of trust. But that difference between those that are just operating at what we would consider a normal level of trust versus those where, those where trust is just such an ingrained characteristic of their organization. You know, the research really, in my opinion, really teased out three things that would really be 
the critical reasons why we would think that trust really matters. And it really came down to things like one being that just from a financial performance perspective in construction, we're constantly working ourselves out of a job. And those companies with the very highest levels of trust saw a you know, significantly higher amount of repeat business. Schedules are becoming more and more critical. And again, those companies with the highest levels of trust saw that their project delivery performance from a schedule perspective was much greater. And then last, which is probably one of the biggest issues that we've dealt with as an organization, just the skilled labor, trying to find people. And there's such a war for talent. And I know that's sometimes an off-use term, but the fact that these high trust organizations had a very strong sort of defense when it came to the skilled labor shortage because they had such a lower voluntary turnover rate among their employees. But those three things, whether it was the, the repeat business, the more timely delivery of projects, or the lower voluntary turnover rate, all of these really combined have a significant bottom line sort of contribution to company performance. Yeah, and I think from, from my experience, what I've seen is there's a huge correlation between high-performing contractors, both trade contractors and general contractors that really dig deep into their data and they, re they really are transparent and, and expose their data so that all can kind of see it and, and they kind of put it all out there and they have this culture of transparency because one, it helps to communicate and two, it's sort of this, you know, tell me how I measured and I'll tell you how I behave mentality that if we're measuring the right things and we're putting that data out there, we'll actually just sort of naturally our competitive spirit will go towards those correct things. So so I think, you know, just even making sure that your measurements are aligned around trust and that you're not creating measurements and incentives in your organization that lead people to be incentivized to be distrustful or to deceive, because that, that has traditionally been the culture of the industry. But those that are high performing, those that are really advancing today are, are very much the opposite of that. Yeah, I think the fact that we are able to qualify these things now in a way that hits those two big topics, it's like the dollar value of, you know, shorter schedule durations, less waste, more repeat business. And, and repeat business isn't just, okay, we have new jobs, but like the, the cost of getting repeat business is reduced. You don't have all that bid and proposal effort necessarily, especially if you're getting sole source now because you did such a great job. And then with that employee retention, you're potentially saving thousands of dollars at the end of the day. I mean, the amount of time it takes to hire new specialized labor, especially at the executive level, is, is substantial and, and very expensive. And the amount of time that it takes to get somebody trained up and, and on a job is, is huge. And consider the, the thought of like your $400 million project and your project executive goes to another company, you know, halfway through the schedule duration, like the impacts of that are, are substantial. And to, to be able to clearly say, okay, we have a high trust organization. My employees like working here. They actively recruit on our behalf, just pays dividends for general contractors and subcontractors across the board in a very meaningful way. So Jay, I, I do have one question for you. So the, the research uncovered some interesting themes related to trust and external relationships in our report. And we settled on some key points that I think our listeners should hear. Can you elaborate on the importance of trust focused on team members outside of one's own organization? So we, we talked about that internal piece and like the profit margins of, you know, say a general contractor or something along those lines. Like what, what is this impact across the project site when you start bringing in subs and architects? and everybody else into the conversation. Yeah, so what we found was that the amount of collaboration from a solutions perspective 
just really increased significantly uh, when there was that high level of trust. You know, whether it was the way we dealt with issues or problems, because those are inevitably going to arise on a project. I don't think there's anything such as a perfect or surprise-free project, right? And when that level of trust really extended between whether it's the contractor and the architect or engineer or between the trade contractor or even the project owner, those typical things that become roadblocks or obstacles to being able to deal with problems sort of, I don't want to say they went away, but they were really dealt with much faster. You know, I've always kind of heard the old saying that, you know, problems never get better with age. And so from an external sort of collaboration perspective, when that trust was there, people were looking for solutions, not who do I blame this time? And so big problems were avoided. And it really say that it really benefited everybody that was involved. It wasn't any one party that was the sole beneficiary of that trust. So one of the things I do in workshops, and I don't know, Jay, if you, you've seen something similar, but especially in, in construction, we've talked about internal and external as far as influencers, but there's also a, a separation that I create between barriers and roadblocks. And so a barrier being something that uh, is sort of in, in your control, you can literally think of a, a guard in front of a guard station with a barrier that can be lifted up and down as long as you're able to convince that person versus a true roadblock, an actual rock in that road that really your, your best path of action is going to be some way around it that is not the most direct path of action, but it's, it's just sort of what you have to do. And I think in such a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, a VUCA environment like construction, the best way to attack these problems is really to almost segment them out between which ones are internal in my organization that I can control, that are that are barriers that I can work with my people on versus things that are maybe technology roadblocks that are technologies that aren't developed yet. But as we've talked about, you know, more often than not, that's that's not the, the issue. And I think what we're finding more often than not is that what, where our challenges lie are either external roadblocks, contracts or owners or third parties that uh, don't want to work together, don't want to streamline process, don't want to build trust and make things better, or internal barriers that are more cultural and more kind of we've got to get ourselves understanding and that it's, it's less so internal roadblocks or external barriers. I really like the way you bucket that because it it gives more solutions to how you solve some of these problems and it kind of defines them in a way that makes them a little bit more solvable. Jay, you you mentioned surprises on the project. And so I think I've got a, a question for you related to the, the data that we collected. Were there any surprises in the data on our trust project that came up that you weren't really expecting when we started the conversation? I will say that there was probably two things that really surprised me. Me. One would be just the number or the, the, the percent of the respondents that actually didn't consider themselves to be operating with a very high level of trust. You just assume people would say, yeah, we, we operate with a very, very high level of trust. And the best way to describe it, it was sort of like a third, a third, and a third, right? It was kind of a third had that very high level of trust, uh, you know, the one that we were advocating that people really should be aspiring towards. Then there was that third that was, hey, you know, we got, we got good trust, you know, we may have pockets where I still may not have all the trust in the world with another group. And there was a third who really actually just said, no, we, <laughs> our trust is very average. But the, the second thing that, that really surprised me with the information was that I did expect there to be a greater degree of, of performance with those organizations that had the highest level of trust. I mean, it was just sort of the intuitive thing that we assumed that we would find through this. But what surprised me was maybe I was thinking about that in terms of incrementally better. 
And the research really surprised me in terms of it wasn't incremental improvement in performance. It was almost exponential improvement in performance. And that's a whole different level of difference in how one organization will perform, whether you know from an internal perspective or from an external perspective. But compared to you know those on the lower end of the scale of trust, it was just a huge, I mean, it's just such a financial, there's a huge financial gain. Uh, and that, that covers so many different aspects of the business. But that was probably one of the biggest things was that not just incremental improvement, but exponential improvement. I think that's the big thing for, for companies to focus on as they kind of do a self-evaluation is like, okay, we, we feel like we've got this, this decent level of trust and like have a real serious question amongst your team is like, are we in that very high category? Because as, as Jay just said, the incentivization to go from average or above average to very high at that exponential rate really shakes out to dollars saved and just a tremendous amount of benefit to your organization. So I, I'm, I'm very pleased that it kind of shook out that way just because it, it makes the, the hypotheses that we started shaking out before we started the survey like even more on point. So that's that's been a lot of fun to see kind of shape up. Well, I like the way you said that, Eric, about, you know, with trust, do some people look at, well, you know, we do all right. Where would you ever have that same attitude in construction? I mean, would you have that same attitude towards safety? Yeah, we're all right. You know, we're not really striving for the best safety, but you know, we're average safety. It's the same thing though with the trust. That's a fantastic point. Like safety is obviously paramount for the construction industry. And I, I couldn't imagine the amount of side eyes any you know safety exec would get if you go, yeah, we're okay. Like that, okay, okay is not a good answer. Like, like it needs to be very high because there's so much at stake. Nathan, so I know when we met earlier this year to start working on our ebook, you were really excited to put pen to paper on this topic of trust. Can you walk us through some of your thoughts on where our listeners should start these trust-focused conversations at their own organization? I think first and foremost, if, if you're one of the ones saying, I don't think I have very high trust, I mean, th there's there's a huge step one, you know, right there of just having the vulnerability, being able to speak up, ha having those conversations that, again, are not easy things to do. You know, we, we've talked a lot throughout this year about not just uh, kind of challenges interpersonally and, and mental health challenges and other things like that. But I think th there's a huge opportunity that, that I see for, for those organizations that do have high levels of trust and are very frustrated with externally other project delivery stakeholders that are challenging, that are challenged with this interoperability that they can really come and, and see within this report and, and use this data to start having these conversations, to start bringing this stuff up with owners, with organizations and other stakeholders that they, before some of these, you know, trust eroding activities happen on projects and kind of say, hey, like, you know, we're, we're seeing data that is trending in this direction and we're, we're trying to do this more collaborative, you know, design build or, or IPD project, you know, how, how can we get one step ahead of this and recognize like, hey, why is it that, you know, the owner and the architect both have, you know, kind of the, the narrowest level of trust with that specialty contractor, you know, probably because they're the furthest separated from them, right? Like the less you talk to them, the less you're likely going to trust them. But I think there, there's a lot to say within that data. And, and hopefully, you know, some, some things that come out of this as far as self-assessments for projects to really look at, you know, both how, how is my internal trust level? And then what it, what is our external team trust level? And what are things that we can work on before it's too late? 
if you step back and look at the last few years, like say three to five for the construction industry and, and the increased prevalence of alternative delivery methods and in other contractual arrangements to, to getting work done, do either of you feel like construction leaders are more focused on creating this deeper level of trust or are we still kind of at the same level we had before? I'm, I'm just trying to get a sense for how the industry has evolved over the last few years on this topic, even if they're not specifically saying the word trust, like it's all interconnected. So personally, I've seen it in in the trades. If you go to any you know, mechanical contractor association, of America, MCA tech conference or conference that they're very much about transparency and, and cooperation and, and kind of building, you know, not just trust inside organizations, but trust kind of between organizations, what I think is, is a good trend to see. But uh, I don't know, Jay, if, if you're seeing things in other sides of the world. Yeah, I, I think of trust as the connective tissue between all of the different aspects or visible outcomes of what a trusting organization or situation looks like. So we use terms like collaboration. You know, we talk about IPD, we talk about transparency. All of those things are just different, I'll say, outcomes of a high trust environment. And so I do believe that leaders in our industry are more attuned to the importance of that. Again, to your point, Eric, they may not necessarily be using the word, hey, we've got to be more trustful, but they're talking about all those things, as I mentioned before, that are part of that connective tissue of trust. Now, whether or not they're doing something about it is a whole other story, right? And I do think that for the most part, several are trying, but I think there's still a lot of struggle. I think there's struggle because at the end of the day, it's somewhat like, somewhat like the prisoner's dilemma, right? <laughs> we still run into that in a significant way in the construction industry. And as Nathan described it earlier, we have this open environment, but it's an open environment of silos in many ways. And so trust in some ways is compromised by the weakest link in that entire chain. I think that's what gets me excited about this this particular project and, and the one that I'm working on with Nathan right now is it's it's a great starting point for contractors who haven't had that framework before of like, okay, trust is important now. And so we're putting language behind it in a way that hopefully will get people excited about the concept and, and making deliberate changes within their organizations to ultimately, you know, positively impact their employees in the bottom line. Nathan, you said something earlier about incentives, and I'd like to come back to that because I think it's important. So as we consider how we incentivize people to trust each other, and Jay and I touch on this a bit in our report, but you've got some great insight about what behaviors and approach really create a trusting organization. Can you share some of those with us? Yeah. I, I mean, I think all the great examples, and again, my, my examples of uh, having lived through both successful and, and not so successful IPD projects. And actually, what, one of the questions I was thinking in my head, Jay, as you were talking was, you know, is it trust that do you need to build trust in order to have IPD or do you need to have IPD in order to build trust? And I think there, there's a lot to that, right? Of like this difficult dynamic between the situation that we're living in versus our ability to control our situation in which we live in. And so I think if you fill up what you can control, obviously the, the barriers that you're just either 
too afraid or too busy or too distracted or too whatever to deal with, you know, deal with those. And then if you also find yourself in a situation after that, where you're, you're not getting in the direction that you need to, you're facing those roadblocks. Then again, as, as a millennial, that probably tells you need to go work somewhere else, <laughs> but you know, because that's the, the age that we live in, but don't, don't just tell yourself a story that they don't get you. If you didn't speak up and at least, you know, try and do something about it. Cause, cause no matter where you go, if you have bold and different and innovative ideas, you're going to face roadblocks. You're going to face barriers. So be prepared to have those conversations be prepared to, you know, sell the business model, whether it's the business model between behind trust and culture or the business model behind buying tech. You know, it's, it's the same approach of appealing to what that person cares about, what, what's in it for them. They're, they're with them. And, and if it's executives, it's, it's usually financial. <laughs> and so if you can figure out how this talks to the bottom line, which is great because what this provides us is, is more of this data that we can use as ammo to have those conversations and, and talk up to our executives so that uh, hopefully they call up and hire FMI, right? And do a lot of this work and actually solve these problems because it's, it's going to take a lot of work from a lot of these executives to really buy in. I, I've seen so many executives that say the, the right words, but you can just kind of tell they don't really either understand or believe it. They just know they're supposed to say it. And, and usually those companies don't succeed. Like you really need commitment and buy-in from the leadership at the top down. And, and then after that, given the autonomy from the bottom up to really help you shape that. I, I couldn't agree more because when I think about you know, what are the things that erode trust more than anything, it's fear. And it's fear in the sense of the unknown or uncertainty. And to your point, really, we may think that, well, I understand that what's important to me is the bottom line. To someone who's just starting their career, it may be something else. And so having those open conversations, really hearing and listening, you know, what the other person is thinking and be able to translate that to eliminate some of that uncertainty or that fear. That's such a critical element of building that trust, you know, between different people involved in these situations. So I think the topic of uncertainty actually really plays into the direction I'd like to pivot the conversation to, which is very focused on today and, and some of the challenges contractors are experiencing. So of course, the COVID-19 pandemic is, is still ongoing in the United States and in other countries across the world. And I'd like to discuss a little bit about how you guys think that the pandemic might have impacted trust within the construction industry in general. I think it's apparent that many construction teams have moved further along in their digital transformation journey in the last nine months. Do you think trust has been a part of that progression? Yeah. So I think two things that I would note that this pandemic from a trust perspective, uh, why it's, it's highlighting the need to really focus in on this. You know, the first is just the sheer fact that the last 10 years have been the longest period of economic expansion in this country since really World War II. And so as I begin to think about that, and you say, okay, 10 years, and that could be plus or minus, depending on how you define that. I started thinking, how many people in my organization have never lived through a financial downturn or an economic downturn in their entire career? That's 10 years. That's a long time to be in the workforce. And the only thing you've experienced is up, up, up. And so I think to that point about uncertainty, you know, there's a lot of questions that come with that. Am I going to be employed? You know, well, how is my organization, you know, going to respond to this? Because I've, I've never known what it's like if, you know, we didn't have projects to pursue. We had fewer projects to pursue. And so I think that's, that's an important 
point to think in all of this, but then the second one being that because of whether it's remote working or other things, we were basically thrust into a crash course <laughs> and, you know, trusting that others are doing what they're supposed to do when they're not, you know, in the office, on the job site, whatever it may be. And so it's been, you know, it's had its good parts and it's had its bad parts or its challenges and from a learning perspective, but it really, you know, has put us on this accelerated path to really trying to reevaluate what do we mean when we trust people in our organizations. I had to chuckle there for a minute because Nathan was raising his hand when you were talking about the, you know, 10 years of career path and, and no economic downturns. And and I'm in the same position as well. I, uh, <laughs> well, I guess uniquely 12, right? So I, I and just for yeah, some back context, I came out of school right in 2008, 2009 and actually yep. had my you know start date delayed and so saw the beginnings of what that was. But yeah, everything after that was up, up, up. But yeah, there are so many folks in this industry that have no experience of, of what this is and how these cycles work. And, and, and many, many folks actually use those cycles and actually use them to their advantage. And again, maybe a, a less than efficient from, if you look at it from a circular kind of business economics standpoint, way of going about things. And I think that's a lot of what we really, those of us who are younger to, to do some history, to look at the history of how these cycles have gone and, and what's happened to construction and, and especially how the cycles of technology have changed as well. And like where things like BIM was in 2009, 2010, versus where it is today. And, and we always talk about like, man, what, what would what would we be doing if this pandemic happened 10 years ago? And we didn't have the internet connections and the same video. I mean, sure, we had GoToMeeting, but it would be completely different. I mean, we, we li literally would be shut down. Whereas, you know, at least today, and I think, you know, how do we look for those silver linings in, in some of these, again, pandemic shutdowns and social distancing requirements to be more free about remote working requirements and allow some of these things that I think a lot of the millennials and, and Gen Z have been asking for, for a while and have frankly left the industry because we've got too many stubborn contractors that just think that butts and seats is the only way to measure productivity. But if you can get that sort of results-oriented work environment, the row mentality, we can just produce so much more in, in so much less time. You make so many great points. And I too came out of school just as the, the recession was really rearing its head and it was hard to find work. And then the, the first job that I got, I got laid off after four months and thought my career was over and you know was in a panic. So I've, I've gone through that cycle myself. Fortuitously enough, that wasn't the, uh, you know, the game or the end of the game for me at that, <laughs> that early stage. <laughs> it sounds my, like you survived. You're doing okay now. <laughs> in my career, you know, but it's, it's important stuff that not everybody has context on. So Jay, you make a, a fantastic point there. And the, the wow. remote work conversation is so top of mind. Like I, I of course, now sit more in the in the tech space as well with, with Autodesk. And so there's been more prevalence of flexible work environments for, for some employees, but most certainly not in the construction industry. The thing that, that I was talking about with Josh Bowen on the last episode actually is I feel like a lot of my ability to quickly pivot to fully remote was based on the success of my relationships I'd built before the pandemic started. And I imagine it would be even more difficult to onboard remotely without being able to meet your peers and, you know, sit down, you know, virtually at a table and, and never actually be in, in a room for it. But I think the cool thing out of out of all of this is we're, we're laying those foundations now. Like we've we've had to live it and we've, we've done it. And industries that typically wouldn't have considered remote activities at all now are, are very much doing so. Of course, not every industry is, is set up to be able to have people not actually physically at the office. But before that, that pandemic started, like 
construction companies, of course, like more on the job site was was a good trajectory. And now, of course, the, reducing the number of people on the project is is paramount because you want to reduce COVID exposure. So it's it's changed the game almost entirely. Uh, sometimes we don't make a choice until there's no choice to be made. <laughs> and <laughs> that's the way it feels in many ways. And I think you're right. We're, those organizations that already had a high level of trust, I think the shift, I'm not going to say it was easy, but they were able to avoid some of the hard lessons that I think others have. And it's amazing to me the differences in stories I've heard from one contractor to the other, you know, where one might be, this is terrible. I don't really know what my people are doing all day. You know, I'm, I think productivity is off. You know, I have no control. All those types of things, but they're still thinking in the old way. And what they're really doing is they're giving away the fact that they already had a fairly low level of trust to begin with versus others that have really sort of embraced this and have begun to, in the way I describe it, say, well, what I considered impractical pre-pandemic, do I have to completely change my mindset and start to really question, is there actually a practical solution to that? And so whether that means, yes, certain aspects we can do remotely. I mean, I've had one client, for example, that talked about different meetings that they would have where they would bring in different regional leaders in for this one-hour meeting. And they're actually trying to guard against going back to that because they're realizing, hey, we can get a lot of that meeting and the things that we're supposed to be doing from an agenda perspective done in one hour in a remote virtual setting and we're saving all that windshield time that really wasn't productive. So in some ways, they've actually increased their productivity and trying to actually now guard against, as I say, going back to the old way of things. Well, and, and the one thing that I learned in, the, in this last recession is that innovation happens in a down economy. When things are slow, you, you look for these opportunities to kind of scrape up where you can. And, and you know, I, I was always, you know, selfishly waiting for the next downturn to kind of really be able to ramp up this next wave of digital transformation that's needed. And the fact that it came in this form of COVID and the, this whole added layer of social distance, it's like some crude joke, but it, the silver lining of it, of what you just pointed out, Jay, that, you know, once we make the change, once you bite that bullet, you realize like, oh, wait, why would I ever go back to the other thing? And so, yeah, traveling is going to be way bit down. There's going to be environmental benefits. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to change for, for a good reason. But we also realize like why we all need to get together. And that as great as it is to see all three of your faces or, or our faces together, that, you know, it's not the same as being in a room together. So I think we, we've kind of realized both ends of it, that there's more that we can do than we thought we could, but that there's nothing you can really exchange for that human to human interaction. I was going to say that you're right when you say that this is an opportunity because I'm reminded of a gentleman by the name of Pierre Wack. He was an executive of Royal Dutch Shell in the 1970s and is largely considered, at least by me, to be one of the you know major contributors to scenario planning in the business environment. And his view, and I'm probably paraphrasing how he said it, but it was precisely in times like this of heightened uncertainty that held the greatest potential for entrepreneurial gain. So it's taking advantage of this time, again, to challenge uh, you know, what we thought was impractical to now saying this could, there's a practical solution to it. And I think that those companies and in our business, our industry, that can really take hold of that, they're going to see tremendous returns. I think this even comes back to just the format that we're, you know, recording this episode 
together on is, is via Zoom. The, the dynamic on Zoom is interesting too. Even just a small thing like if somebody turns their, their camera on or not. I've gotten so accustomed to everybody cameras on all the time for, for the most part that it's almost odd when I pop into a call and somebody doesn't turn their camera on. And I, I know like sometimes somebody's not feeling well or there may be circumstances or like, for example, my cat might be go crazy, going crazy behind me and I'll turn my camera off to go, you know, deal with that and turn it back on again to not interrupt the conversation. But I think even small acts like being confident enough to turn your camera on really impact how much people trust how you're engaging and add an extra layer of comfort to these strange circumstances where everybody's meeting virtually now. I was definitely the one that would never turn my camera on unless others did first. And sometimes I still wouldn't. But then once COVID, it, everything was cameras on. And I think that that was a cool, almost just kind of cultural paradigm shift. The same way it became weird to go in a grocery store and not or see someone not wearing a mask, you know, like how, how quickly that, that culture changed. And you really, I mean, you have to capitalize on that. I mean, I, I never went to business school, but anyone who did probably read, read John Cotter's eight steps to leading organizational change. And that, that step one is creating a sense of urgency. So, you know, what, what better sense of urgency than this pandemic that we're in to really capitalize on some of these digital transformation and just cultural transformation efforts that if you feel like you are in that category that doesn't have high trust, you know, use this as an opportunity to really push on those buttons and, and do it now. Yeah, I, th I think we've done a great job of, of showcasing just how important trust is, even if organizations haven't been thinking about it specifically in their day-to-day -day with, with those particular terms. But I, I do have one final question for you guys, and this one's off-tangent from, from trust itself, but it's a question I've been asking all of the guests so far, and it's been fun to see where the answers range. So can each of you tell me what is one tool you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on. And Jay, let's let's start with you on this one. <laughs> that's a that's a great question. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question before. So I'm not sure how this is going to come across, but I'll say that the one thing that I mean, my children will tell you the same thing. I always have a notepad and pen with me everywhere and it's ridiculous i don't know why i'll even have it when we go to the beach you name it i've got a pen and a piece of paper but i, I consider it to be my third ear and what i mean by that is someone shares something with me that i'm just fearful i might forget later on i can just jot it down i get an idea i jot it down it's just a great way for me to just be able to capture the little things that you kind of go through from the day to day but it's that that pen and paper <laughs> I've always tried to carry a notebook like that, or rather not always tried, but I've attempted to put that into my my standard, you know, pocket rotation and it's always fallen off. So I have like seven notebooks that have two or three pages of writing in them that are, you know, abandoned in a closet somewhere. So I, I'm happy to hear that you've, you've stuck to that one and it's, it's been useful. Nathan, what about you? Do you have a, a specific tool that you carry with you at all times or always use in all different types of projects? You know, it's, it's funny, Jay, you say that because I'm, I'm holding up a bunch of post-it notes here that again, when I'm doing interviews or when I'm doing these, you know, meetup workshops, whether in person or remote, and I need to jot things down just so I don't forget it when someone else is talking and I want to still pay attention to what they're saying. All right there. But I'm, I'm like you, Eric, and my tool is 
only because no one else said it before is my phone. I mean, as, as a millennial, I'm just glued to my phone and enamored at how many different work and personal and other things I can do from it. And especially when I was traveling and just those, those little pockets of time or, or little delays where you can just, you know, capture those moments back and get something done and check something off your list. And then the, the challenge just becomes, you know, wh which of the five different organizational apps do I organize it in? And, and where do I store all my reminders? Do I store it in Apple reminders or Evernote or other reminders? So, you know, the, the dilemma continues of, you know, there's this dilemma of choice um, where we have two or, or paradox of choice, I guess, where we have too many different choices and we, we end up not choosing any of them or lose all the data because we're using too many of them. But ultimately it's, it's certainly not going anywhere. And uh, unfortunately uh, it is my appendage. The challenges of being tech savvy is you end up with too many options because you're aware of what the potential is and you almost end up with decision paralysis because you go, oh, well, like which tool is the one that I want to use to do this because I'm, I'm aware of 10 because, you know, and I, I'm similar in that in that vein as far as you know, phone apps and everything else is like my first thought is, oh, I wonder if there's an app for that. And most <laughs> times there, there there is, it may or may not be a good app, but it may not be one that I use ever again beyond that first you know idea moment of, okay, like down the rabbit hole we go but but at least you doubted the default and that was the one i wanted to bring if anyone hasn't heard of a adam grant and and obviously simon sinek and in the infinite game has a lot of parallels to a lot of the stuff of really how we need to change our mindset to build trust but adam grant if, if you're looking for a, another podcast that's not industry specific but very much the psychology side uh, of business and provides a lot of you know great data and insights that uh, help and i think there is a, an episode specifically on trust as well Oh, that's great to hear. I'll have to take a peek at that and see if his themes around trust align to, you know, our very construction specific model. <laughs> so this is this has been a great conversation. And I, I'm really thankful that you were both able to join me to, to kind of dig in on trust and why it matters to, you know, our particular audience. Do either of you have anything that you'd like to plug for our listeners that they should know about? Sure. I will say that later this year, beginning of next year, uh, we'll be releasing our annual overview of the construction industry, which not only gives outlooks on construction spending and investment, particularly now given sort of this post-pandemic world that we're coming out of, but also what are some of the major trends we see going on in the industry? You know, that's sort of our penultimate publication that we do every year. And so be looking out for that coming in January. That's great, Jay. Thank you for sharing. Nathan, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Well, besides our ebook that'll be coming out very soon here, we are going to be doing more of these meetups. Actually, just this week during AU, we did meetups using Zoom and using breakout rooms and trying to engage more conversation between different uh, peer groups as far as project managers, BIM managers, and field operations, as well as pre-construction managers. And, you know, the psychologist in me found it very interesting to see a little bit of the social dynamic differences between our different groups as far as to our point of turning webcams on or not and, and different things like that. So kind of trying trying to bring everybody on board as far as uh, the new ways of uh, digital interaction and, and creating better engagement and creating uh, productive conversations by really bringing those different groups together. So we're going to be doing those uh, every other month. And if you're on the uh, Autodesk Big Room, we'll be posting more in there and asking some of those questions and all the uh, invites to sign up for those, those will be in there. I'm excited that you're you're taking on that that program for us. I think the the absence of meetups in in COVID and in that face to face interaction has been a big struggle for a lot of people. And so you know finding a place to to have those more casual conversations where you get to learn from your peers and and have those discussions is going to be great. I'm hoping to be a fly on the wall for a couple of those actually just to to see where those conversations go. As far as pluggables go, the only other thing that I can think of, of course, is early next year Jay and I are working on a yet to be released research topic. So 
stay tuned for the third iteration of Autodesk and FMI working on research. Do either of you have a specific way you'd like listeners to reach out to you if they've got any questions or anything they'd like to follow up with you about? So I begrudgingly on Twitter, uh, I'm pretty active on there. For those of you who, who do like to, to tweet, I, I will try and respond to those at Nathan C. Wood or LinkedIn is great as well. You know, it's an easy, easy way to get a hold of me. But as far as organization wise, you know, spectrumac.com, you can learn more about the, the work that we're doing together with Autodesk, as well as the other A3 workshops that, again, when we're back in person, uh, we're, we're excited to get back to. And in the meantime, as far as the Construction Progress Coalition, we're doing uh, even, even more virtual breakouts and virtual roundtables at the end of every month. So you can uh, learn more about those and sign up for those on constructionprogress.org. Yeah, the best way to reach me is probably through email, jbowman at fminet.com. That's just the letter J, uh, then Bowman. And I'm also on LinkedIn, which I'm happy to connect that way as well. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thanks to all the listeners for joining us on this episode of Digital Builder. If you'd like to read the research report that Jay and I worked on related to trust or find information related to the meetups that Nathan just mentioned, look for links in the show notes. If you want to reach out to me with any questions or would like to be a guest on a future episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at builder underscore digital. On that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.